Hey, welcome to I Used to Be a Therapist. This is the sixth episode in the Transformation Project series. And if you haven't had a chance to go hear all of those episodes before, be sure and go do that soon. Today, I am excited to share with you an interview that I did with Dr. Laura Copley. Laura lives in Harrisonburg, Virginia with her partner and their one-year-old daughter. She is a licensed counselor and a certified trauma specialist. Dr. Copley has a PhD in counseling education and supervision, just like me. And she runs a thriving private practice along with her new and booming online business called The Life Pathway. Laura and I talked about experiences in her life that shattered her world and how going through these traumatic events has allowed her to grow into the person she was created to be. I'm so glad that you get to hear this today. I know it will add value to your life. Let's listen in. I'm Dr. Wendy Bruton, and I used to be a therapist. Welcome to my podcast. Each week, I'll be sharing life stories, interviews, and information that I know will be of value to you and to your life and to the lives that you touch. If you need a therapist or just someone who used to be a therapist, I hope that this is a place where you feel valued, valuable, and learn to move forward from what you used to be. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so glad you're here. It's fun to to see your face. I've got to hear a little bit of your story, but I'm excited to hear more today and to have everybody get to hear it. But before then, I would love for you to introduce yourself a little bit. Just tell us who you are, where you live, uh, who you live with, your job, all that stuff. All that good stuff. Well, I'm a Shenandoah Valley native. Mm. Born and raised, heart of Blue Ridge. It's very much my home. I've mm. been to so many places around the world, but there's nothing like my valley. Mm. I return to it time and time again, even when the wind pulls at my hair to <laughs> go to those distances unknown, all those other places around the world and all those other cultures. I have a one-year-old. Her oh. name is Willow Riven. Oh, I, I love that. just bought my dream land, 17 acres on a river overlooking the Blue Ridge Mountains. We are moving into a little fixer-upper mobile home as we build our dream home. And it's such an exciting time. Um, what else? Uh, I just, I have this vision of my daughter just running barefoot on the property and uh-huh. being raised among animals and ponds and gardens. Oh. I have a thriving private practice called Aurora Counseling and Wellbeing, where I offer individual counseling and resiliency coaching for trauma survivors. My next project I'm working on will be launching on June 1st, and it's called The Life Pathway. It's basically an academy where self-healers can go to access online courses of my work and my approach for their own self-healing. My first course course will be launched June 1st, around that time as well, uh, followed by one on healing the trauma bond. And um, what else? For fun, swing dancing. Swing dancing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I've been uh, swing dancing for about three years. I love it. I love also hiking waterfalls right here in the Blue Ridge. We're kind of the epitome of 
of nature therapy at its best. Wow. Doing art markets and street festivals, globetrotting to faraway lands. Oh my goodness. Well, I've never been there. I've never been. I have been to Virginia, but like by DC, right? So I've never been, I've never been to the Blue Ridge Mountains. So I feel like I need to go. That sounds, yes, sounds beautiful. Hit hit us up in Virginia and then make your way down the Blue Ridge into Asheville, North Carolina. And it would be just a beautiful trip. Oh, I think I need to do that at some point. Yes. Okay, we're going to hear your story today and get to hear your experience and your change in life and your transformation experience. So Mm. let's get started. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about just your story? Sure. Um, Well, I think my story has to start off with just the status quo, what I thought was normal. I was taking the right path that was outlined for me, do well in school, go to college, get a job. It was pretty straightforward. I imagine getting married in my twenties, having a couple of kids before 30 white picket fence, you know, the, the basic idea, uh, sure. but I also needed to be perfect. And I was very much an extension of my mom. She would cry if I wasn't the top of my class, cry if I didn't do well in school. Dad was heavy into sports growing up and I was naturally athletic, but I was not competitive. I would rather hold hands and cross the finish line together. Sure. Uh, um, so I, I kind of felt like there was a bit of a, a perfectionistic quality to me. I always felt like I was going to be a big disappointment if mm. I wasn't perfect. Yeah. So I think you talked about if there was an event that happened and mine wasn't this one time event. It was more of a, a, uh, several things that happened in a very short amount of time that completely unraveled my Mm -hmm. sense of normalcy Mm -hmm. as a childhood through three or four pivotal moments. My mom was hiding a a significant drug addiction that eventually overtook her. My picture-perfect family was shattered when she was finally caught and sent to jail and jail into rehab over and over again. This started this started the spiral. How old were you then? I was when she was first sent to jail, I was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, but her she had been the the drug addiction really started manifesting in very overt ways several years before that. Okay. Yeah, and so I was hiding that behind a the, a very white picket fence upbringing. Sure. And the moment that she was finally caught and sent to jail, that was the spiral. That's when everyone knew, and there was it was a lot of shame. There was a lot of embarrassment, mm-hmm. and she was never the same after that either. Mm-hmm. So before that, your whole family had this way to present yourself in the world. Mm-hmm. And you, yes. everybody thought everything was great. Everyone thought that. Absolutely. We were raised in one of the upper middle class neighborhoods of my town. She was a preschool teacher. My dad worked really hard. Mm. They were the coaches of all of my sports and my cheerleading and softball and basketball. Everything looked perfect. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. And I thought uh, I thought it was perfect for the longest time, and then slowly the darkness started creeping out that was contained within her, then contained within my parents' marriage, then finally contained within the walls of the house, and then it just exploded. Sure. 
So then she gets arrested when you're 16 and everybody knows. And then everyone knows. And it felt my identity shifted mm. at that point. I, I felt like I had to become harder mm-hmm. in a way. And then bebopping from home to home at that point between my grandmother's house, friends' homes, I went from having living 16 years in the same house yeah. to not having a home. And really that, that theme, just bebopping from home to home, then in my adult life, apartment to apartment has been sort of a theme since. Yeah. Um, then a couple years after that, one of my best friends committed suicide. Okay. It was in, so my best friend committed suicide. And then a year and some change after that, my mother died of an overdose. So my earth yeah. felt like it was just taken from underneath my feet. So probably, I mean, you have this event of your mom going to prison. Everybody knows you lose your house, you go, you move all these things. And then you finally, maybe I'm, I'm assuming, you know, after a couple of years, okay, I got used to this. I now I know I have this rhythm anyway. And then another wave crashes. Absolutely. And then another wave crashes after you get back up on your feet a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and then every, every time a wave hits, it's just validating of a sense of you're not allowed to be safe anymore. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, every, every time it's ingraining more and more into my identity that all I can do is survive. Uh So you're a survivor. That's your identity. Survivor. There's no comprehending that sudden tragic loss, let alone it happening within a year of each other, two of those big things happening back Uh to back. And I would, the only thing really that kept me standing and, and a sense of stabilization is that I had a long-term relationship at the time Mm. and I had his family as my rock. Uh Now, if I had to say the most life-changing moment, I mean, those things were just catastrophic. Sure. But there was something that I had a beacon. I had something to hold on to. You had your partner, your person. My, 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 my person. Yeah. That I've had since. So my mother was in and out of jail from the time I was 16 to about 25. Uh-huh. My best friend committed suicide when I was 25. My mom died of an overdose when I was 26. Uh-huh. So over the time, and from the time that I was 18 until then, my stabilizing figure was my boyfriend, fiance. Uh-huh. And a couple years after that, we had been married. That relationship ended tragically. Just blindsided. Ultimate safety, because if he would stick with somebody through all of that, which I identified as, like, I identify myself as trashy and just no good and, and use goods. And like my family was just like, I, I identified with the darkness. And if he would stick with me through that, I, 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 he, he would be there through everything. Sure. And it didn't work. It didn't work out. And that tragic loss of that relationship, I was completely dismantled. I had nothing to hold on to, nothing to keep me drowning. I just felt completely lost. Oh. It was like checkmate. Yeah. Was there a moment, like a moment in time that you can go back to that you knew life is not going to be the same? 
There was a couple of those. There was the dark moment. And then there's also a, a, a horizon moment. The dark moment was when it all came crashing down, every single loss thrown back in my face. And that my beacon was no longer safe. Uh-huh. And that moment I remember I was on the kitchen floor. My I felt it in my legs first. They collapsed from underneath me. Sure. And I curled into a ball on the floor. And I it was just agony. It was the unimaginable. Mm. And then maybe a few hours later, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Emotionally dismembered. Interesting. Just no no feelings, completely numb. No, no, no feelings. Nothing, not good, not bad. No emotions at all. Kind of shock. For a long time. I was in that state for a long time. And I think at that moment, I... I had the sense of, it was very existential of it is just me. It really, really is. Yeah. I learned about this in school, the whole meaninglessness behind it all. Right. And I kind of came face to face with the the dark existential crisis. Uh, We are just alone in it all. And it is just on me. Yeah. How was that when you just, when you realize you are, you know, the existential piece of, I am alone in this world. It was, I mean, it's hard to put words to it because I was so numb. Sure. It it was very vast. It was simple yet overwhelming at the same time. There was a lot of duality to it. There was a lot of pressure to then, what do I do? Sure. What do I do with the vastness of this? Mm -hmm. Um, So there were, I think, there was a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of working through what my responsibility was going to be. If I was going to let it overtake me, uh-huh. if I was going to let it take away everything else, if there was even meaning behind anything else. So there was uncertainty mm-hmm. and my own responsibility in making a decision of whether I was going to attach meaning to anything or if I was going to allow it to be meaningless. Yeah. It was very existential. So what were your first reactions? How did you respond to that in, in action? I picked up a journal and I told myself that I would track what this process was going to be like. And the beginning was I'm going to give myself one week to feel the agony, to feel the numbness, to to do whatever my ego needed to do to just make it about me, me, me. I was going to give myself time to just hurt whatever that needed to look like. Uh And then I was going to do something about it. And I remember writing that down and I still have it written down. Like I know exactly where that is in one of my notebooks. And really I, I, I let myself just hurt whatever that needed to look like for a certain amount of time. And then I, was only able to do one breath at a time. Uh-huh. Not one day, just one breath. Every day, one breath, get to the next breath, get to the next breath. I could not imagine a future yet. Yeah. Cause you, you'd just been devastated. I've yeah, I've just been devastated. And to put, put pressure on myself to think about what that means for my future. 
I couldn't even wrap my head around no. a future. So it was let myself shatter, let me myself feel the break, hurt, give myself a certain amount of time to do it. And then the next part was breath by breath. Then it was one foot in front of the other. Then it was one hour at a time. Then it was one day at a time. And eventually I was able to see moments throughout my day where I was okay. You were able to identify some good. That's a huge mind shift, right? Like that is where the mind shift starts is where you're like, okay, I can see something, something that's not terrible, even if it's just, just neutral. Yeah. Yeah. I remember walking. I was actually in downtown Charlottesville, which is about 50 minutes from where I am in Harrisonburg. And I was walking down their downtown mall area. And I remember having the thought, I'm okay right now. Mm. I remember. And that was like, you noticed that I noticed the okayness of the situation, not jumping for joy, not dancing on rainbows or frolicking through sunflower fields, just a sense of okayness in that one moment in a moment. Yeah. I just have to like have a little bit of a side step here a little bit. (laughs) As a therapist for you, that is a huge thing of what I often say is smoking what you're selling, right? Like mm. you, yeah. you're smoking what you're selling. You you are like, okay, I'm going to do this work myself. And that is so hard. I mean, that is a wise mind in a DBT kind of yeah. sense, right? That is a yeah. wise mind place to be of being able to say, I have these emotions, but I'm also going to think through this. I'm also going to notice what's happening. I'm going to give myself time, but I'm going to give myself a limit. Mm-hmm. Those are huge skills that people sometimes just, we don't want to give ourselves time. We just want to move on and press forward and change things and blah, 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 And we don't sit with this like horrific grief. Yes. So how skillful that was. We, we want to rush through it. And in the rushing through it, we don't move through it the way that our body needs to move through it. There is a biological reason that we experience these immense feelings and they need to be processed through in order for them to complete themselves. Mm. And in the moment, it is so, so hard to remember that because your feelings are going to tell you otherwise. Well, it doesn't feel good. It feels horrible. Yeah. Even in the moment for me, I was, I was in the middle of my PhD program studying this stuff. I was highly educated and highly trained on what was exactly happening in that exact moment. I knew at intellectual level, but feelings override. Mm -hmm. And there was the, I only had a tiny, 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 tiny whisper of this is what's happening. So just in case all your training is right, just in case. We better do this. Yeah. It's sort of a, an experiment. It was. And actually that happens with many counselors. I think many, many therapists is that they're like, okay, I have to go through this. And am I going to do what I tell everybody else to do? Am I really going to trust what I have been taught to function in my own life, mm-hmm. to use these skills in my own life? to see if they really work? Am I willing to take my own medicine in some ways, you know? Mm -hmm. And after you do that, you become so effective 
as yes. a therapist or coach or whatever you're doing, I mean, it just becomes so effective because you know it from your gut, not just your head. Yes. So, yes. okay. That was just a side tangent that I had to say, because holy cow, that's super hard, super hard to do. Okay. So you were in this time of grief and you just let yourself feel all the feelings. And then you started taking one breath at a time and moving forward at some point, but letting yourself do it slowly. Mm-hmm. I am interested in how this was impacting your other relationships, like friendships. Sure. and Yeah, sure. Um, so at the time I was at Penn State getting my PhD. So I did not have a very close, vulnerable, intimate network at the time. I, I was very much alone in this. I am very grateful for my cohort who had a sense of some things that were going on, but they weren't, I didn't know them well enough for them to be like profoundly supportive and that sort of thing. But I did lose my, I, I did lose myself in my dissertation and my relationships with them and that sort of thing when I could. I do think that's that's one of the things that I recognize the role that my ex had in my life he was he was my beacon through the hardest time up until that point and I recognize profoundly how important social support and your tribe is and then without him he took a wave of our friends with him because a lot of my tribe after 12 years of being together a lot of our tribe was linked and a lot of them were originally his friends including his family which became my family because my family my family of origin was so disrupted they all went with him um. minus maybe a couple that were in virginia and i was at penn state so i i very much felt very alone i did buy a golden retriever and that dog was my saving grace. <laughs> I love that dog. She got me to take care of myself again. She got me outdoors. She got me on hikes. She became my reason when it was really hard to find reason. Mm. And in the process of being able to take care of something else, it opened the door to experiences that then gave me moments like we just talked about moments of I'm okay right now or oh my gosh this is a beautiful moment or this waterfall I would have never seen if it wasn't for this yeah. dog <laughs> so I'm a big believer in animal therapy and and the healing relationship between human and canine absolutely happen firsthand yeah do you have her Yes. Her. Yeah. She's right outside the door yeah. right now. Do you have her in sessions with, with your clients? Every session, oh. every session, unless it's pouring down rain because walking with a wet dog across the street would not smell no. very pleasant in, no. in my super therapeutic <laughs> office. <laughs> no, but if it's not raining, she's there. If she, it's not raining, she's there. And she's very therapeutic to other people as well. Oh, I, I imagine. I imagine that. I have a dog. This is just a side note too, but we have a dog that we used to have in my therapy office until she started barking all the time. And then she just mm-hmm. basically needed therapy herself. So now we don't have her there. Right. 
you know, what's fascinating about animals that I find is that they are so, I mean, and everybody who does any kind of things with therapeutic animals, they're so responsive to people's emotions. They know them. They respond in amazing ways. Yes. It's fascinating to me how they will like get up and like move. I mean, their bodies will move in response to people emoting. Yes. And Jovi was raised in that environment. She was raised from a puppy coming into session and learning about what her role is in session. So not, not just in, as a therapy dog, but she was my emotional support as well. So she was just so in tune to what her role is in my life and what her job was at my office very, very quickly. So she's, I call her my sunshine dog. I love that. (laughs) That's beautiful. Okay. So you have kind of understood now, even though you didn't have that before, but you've understood now the importance of a tribe or a group or community in your life. So have you, did going through that help you create a community or did it take a while? Like, how did that work for you? Sure. Sure. And I think that is the continued work, the remnants of what is left over from being so broken by the people that was supposed to love me unconditionally. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I had the narrative that my mom didn't, she chose drugs over me. And I had my, I had a narrative that my best friend didn't, she chose to take her life over me. And then I had the narrative that my husband didn't, he chose his path over me. So there is a wound that is still there and that I'm very much aware of and a duality between recognizing the importance of a tribe and being vulnerable again to allow that sort of love in. Yeah. So I, I find a, a, a dance that I do even in, even right now, uh, between putting myself out there and then, and then not, not that not close, quite. just right there. Just, mm-hmm. just hold her, hold, hold this space right here. This is close enough. Yeah. And my continued work is in that area of letting myself fall in love again. Yeah. I fall in love with Jovi and I'm, I'm in, of course, my daughter. Yes. Those are the loves of my life. That is a very uh, tricky place to be after being betrayed. Yes. Those are the people who are supposed to be there. And then mm-hmm. when they just can't, you know, they, they can't muster up enough, whatever it is inside them to, you know, to be there and be mm-hmm. the people that they're supposed to be. Then. Yes. Of course, you can't trust that. I mean, it would, it, it feels silly to trust, actually. It feels very mm-hmm. dangerous to trust. And, and yes. you are, you know, you work with people. <laughs> like you're, yes. you know, clearly this is not, you're not the only person. This is what happens when people have lots and lots of folks in their life who don't do what they're supposed to do in a relationship. And it makes sense. Of course. It would be weird wow. if you didn't, right? Like, yeah. It makes sense to have a part of you that has developed as a protector to keep yourself safe from getting hurt again, while at the same time recognizing the our, our deep longing to belong and being able to hold space for both of those and to be able to accept, radically accept that we are constantly a work in progress and 
taking it step by step and challenging ourselves and recognizing our own limitations and where we're excelling and where we have room to grow and just radically accepting where we are moment by moment. I mean, that that's, that's where I continue to be. I'm not going to sit here uh, with my PhD on the wall and going through all the traumas that I've gone to and to say that I have found the answer, period. Despite all this stuff, I'm also still a work in progress and I have no problem admitting that. No, that's... But I also recognize that I am much more appreciative of life and recognizing my immense freedom that I have, that there are these limitless paths to happiness, not just one, not just the white picket fence. Yeah. Limitless. Every single day, there's a path. Every single day, there are countless of paths that are unfolding moment by moment. And there is something very freeing to know that even if I choose one path and it doesn't work out, I can just take a turn yeah. and another one will unfold. And I have, I have that security in my, in my brain now that just makes me feel sometimes on cloud nine. Like you're going to be okay. Like I am okay. Yeah. You're okay now. And if something bad happened, you would be okay. Cause you've done it because yeah. I've done it and yeah. it's going to hurt again. If anything happens, it's going to hurt again, but I've done it and I've been there and I know that there's a way out. Yeah. The knowingness is one of the biggest gifts, the biggest takeaways. Huge. Okay. So that is one, I would say, lesson that you have mm-hmm. learned through this that you might not have learned any other way. But mm-hmm. I'm wondering if there are any others. Are there any lessons that you've learned through this experience, through maybe all yes. three of those that you could not have learned, even in your PhD? Yes. So I, I equate it to like glass breaking, Just like glass, when you are broken time and time again, you shatter into finer and finer pieces that you cannot put back together the same way. I was completely shattered into dust by the end of this. But in the process of being broken down to this extent, I found what is infinite about myself. Mm -hmm. The part that no matter what happens still survives. I found that I know that there's something infinite within, within me that no loss, no trauma, no heartbreak can break down even further. And I found that tiny infinite part to build myself into something different. I found another way. I found a new way. I learned that I have something that is resilient and that has this vast wisdom that there are so many paths to happiness, like we talked about, so many paths to a good life. So, so many. And if one doesn't work, we make a turn. Let another one unfold. I love that. So where are you now? Now you've gone through that whole experience. Mm. You have come out knowing all of that stuff, all the wisdom that you got through it. Where are you now? I am letting paths unfold constantly. I am approaching life with curiosity and eagerness. If you slow down enough, you can actually see it happening in the moment, like paths unfolding, choices happening all at one time. So I'm living a very free life. I'm living an unchained life. 
I'm so much more in the moment, not seeing things as right or wrong or good or bad, but as a needed part of the process, as a part of the journey. I'm creating now more than I ever have thought possible. I'm just an endless supply of dreams <laughs> and ideas that I'm exploring. I'm taking accountability of my life. I created my own business, which is expanding to a brand this year. It's amazing. So I'm going to be moving from this office that I'm sitting in right now to online, to national, maybe to international one day. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, like it's grown or like blown up almost like in some yes. ways it's just blown up your dream and maybe in shattered your past dream, but mm -hmm. in such a way that it expanded or just grew the vision that you could have for yes. your life. All of that needed to happen in order for me to understand the infinite possibilities of life and to have that not just as this cliche that I've spoken, but to actually feel it in my bones. It's true. Yeah. You know, there's a saying that I've heard a lot that the good is often the enemy of the best. Mm. That we hold on to these good things in life. And we hold on to them because they're good, not because they're harmful or, you know, any of that stuff. But we hold on to them because they're good and they're good enough and I'm okay. And we settle for that good and we don't let it go in order to be able to grab on to the best, right? We, mm -hmm. we, and I think sometimes those good things, we think they're so, they're good and they're helpful and that that's what I need right now. but. The letting go of them and the going through that pain that you just that you just described, all of that, that leaves room for us to hold on to the best, to grab on to the best, you know. Right. And right. That's cool. I love that that that's what you did, like that you had, and and maybe the good had to jump out of your hand. You know what I mean? Like yes. you you, you yeah. could, but would you go back to that good? No, doesn't mean I don't miss my mom. It doesn't, and that doesn't mean that I don't miss Elise. She, my friend sure. doesn't mean I don't miss aspects of my original marriage. I can be both. I like the person I am now much better than the person that was. Yeah. It's not meaning I'm grateful for those people being gone. Like, no, no, no. That's you know, not... like, I'm not happy that people died. No. But I can be grateful for what I learned about myself and how I process through those things. It's a very complicated it is, emotion. It's very um, complicated. But no, I would not go back to the version of myself. Yeah. That was. That's beautiful that you could get through that and grow in such a way that is just it could never have happened without pain. It's right. It can't. And, and I wish it could. And I wish it could for I lots of people, too. like for so many people, I wish for myself, I wish that, you know, that, mm -hmm. that we could get to a place of, of healing and, and growth. And I don't know, of health in some time, yeah. you know, healthy ways of being without having to go through pain, but it just doesn't seem to work that way. No, it doesn't. And, and, and in an essence, in this very, transcended state, very higher self way of looking at it. Pain isn't bad or wrong. 
it's on the same team. It might feel unpleasant, but it's on the same team. I love as, the I love the way that you said that. Like it is on the same team as us. It's helping. Yeah. Doesn't feel like it. Mm-hmm. Kind of sucks to have to go through, but it in the long run, it's it's all part of what we need to get to our place of self-actualization. Mm. Okay. So if you would go back to I don't know, let's see, maybe your 16-year-old self, right? Uh, if you go back there and you know what's coming for her. And you could go back there and tell her something, just like what would you tell her? I would tell her you are about to go through the unimaginable. You're going to find a few people along the way that'll lift you up, but for the most part, you will do this alone. It's going to be a long journey, but you will get through it and you will find a version of yourself that you love even more, a life you love even more. Gratitude, gifts, appreciation for life, meaning, inspiration, like you never knew was imaginable. I would tell her it's coming and this is the way. I love that. That's beautiful. Maybe people need to hear that. What do you think are the three? I've been asking everybody this, like the three top things that people going through big life changes, a big life traumatic experiences need to know. I would say evolving hurts. Mm. (laughs) Through suffering, it's through suffering that change occurs. I would say bliss is on the other side of fear. Uh And for me, and this is just for me, but I find that Increasing my well-being and my happiness comes with challenging myself on an almost daily basis. Yeah, to take risks to to encounter my fear and to get through it. So I'm constantly looking for a small thing to a big thing to set as an endeavor that makes me afraid, because on the other side of that is this rush of dopamine it's true and oxytocin and just all the feel-good stuff that comes at the end and every time I accomplish something that I'm afraid of I just my self-esteem enhances my self sense of self-trust enhances yeah it would be those three things I think I love those things those are some good words Mm. (laughs) thank you so much Thank you, yes, thank you for, for being willing to share. Is there anything else you want to share about that? Because then I have some other questions for you. I think that's a good place to wrap up with that part. Good way to end on that, huh? Yes. So, so now, thank you. Anyway, thank you very, very yeah, much for being, on, for being vulnerable and for sharing your story and for sharing it with us. And... It's such an honor and a gift to hear people's stories. I want you to tell us a little bit before I do the three last three questions that I have that I ask everybody on my podcast. I want you to tell us a little bit about all the things you're doing, how people can get a hold of you, 
how people can get in touch with you. I'll also put it in the show notes too. So. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you for that. So you can follow me on my Instagram. I have an Insta blog there that I write about trauma healing and resiliency and relationships and life transformation. And you can follow me there at Doc Copley, D-O-C-C-O-P-L-E-Y. And I will also be launching my website that will eventually have courses on there for guided self-healing. And you can visit me there starting on June 1st at www.lauracopley.com. Thank you so much. That's exciting. I'm going to, I'm I'm following you on Facebook, on uh, Instagram already. Oh, thank you. Love that. (laughs) Love, love, love what you have out there. Thank you so much. Okay. So here's my last three questions. The first question you might've already answered, but I don't know, maybe there's something else you want to tell us. Hmm. A pivotal event that changed you. So all those events to one extent or another changed me, but there's one that I haven't talked about yet. And that was getting my own apartment for the first time. Uh, Never lived alone before. Uh huh. I went from living with my family to living with my grandparents, living with friends, living with my partner, living with my husband. And I got, I lived by myself for the first time at the age of 30 and it was a beautiful apartment. And I walked into that place for the first time after I moved in everything and I just exhaled and tears of joy, like fell down my face because I was doing it. I was doing life by myself. And I was, by that point, I had found a way to enjoy it. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that. Okay. The second one is a person who changed you. I'm not going to say a person. I'm going to say my dog, Joby. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) She was the constant through the journey out of the dark place into the awakened place. She taught me about caring for myself through it, Mm. about life continuing despite it. So I'm going to say my dog, Jovi. You can do that. That's, that's wonderful. (laughs) And a book that changed you. This was also a book that I read during that whole dark time. It's The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Okay. I will put that in the show notes and I'm interested in reading that too. Somebody else oh told gosh, me about that book. So good. Is it really? Oh, my arm. I, I get, Goosebumps I get already. chills <laughs> just thinking about it. Like it's just saturated with these most profound, meaningful lessons and quotes. And I, oh, I okay. love it. My heart just bursts open just thinking about it. <laughs> I'm going to put it on my list right now. Read it. So, okay. Right now. All, right, all right now. I'm going to read it. Thank you so, so much for being here. I I really feel very honored that you'd be here with us. And I hope everybody just hunts you down and gets to hear all the wisdom you have. So thank you so much. I'm I'm looking forward to this next chapter of my life too. Oh, me too. Can't wait. Good stuff happening just around the corner. Yep. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. I'm so glad you joined us today and you got to hear Laura's story. Again, if you haven't had a chance to hear all those other episodes in the Transformation Project series, be sure and go check them out. I know that you'll really like those. I feel so blessed to have had a chance to chat with Laura. You know, it feels like such an honor to get to hear people's stories, no matter how many stories I hear. It always blesses me to know that without fail, people gain wisdom 
from pain. Well, let's be clear. Not all pain brings wisdom, but all wisdom comes from pain. It just does. There is one thing that Laura said that has stuck with me ever since she said it. She said that she has come to realize that pain isn't bad. It's on the same team. Did you hear that? It's on the same team. Pain feels awful, but it is often what we have to go through to get to and become our authentic and best self. That is a mind shift for most of us. To think about painful events as being on our team, fighting for the same thing. I wish growing could happen without pain. I wish that we could all come to a realization of who we are and who we were created to be and just let go of all the things that hold us back, all without painful experiences. But that just isn't how it works. Can you look back on your life and see different painful events that allowed you to grow and change and just be better? I know I can. And I would not have gotten there without those hard things. Pain is on the same team. I hope you remember that and say it to yourself when you're going through something hard. Pain is on the same team. It's here to help. What can I learn? What do I need to feel? What do I need to know or be? Say it. Remember this one. It's important. Pain is on the same team. The other thing we talked about is the idea of the good being the enemy of the best. I didn't want to skip over that. It is so true. Letting go of things that we think are good enough, things we are settling for, is really hard to do. It's hard because these aren't bad things, but it keeps us from experiencing the best. So I'm going to ask you. What are you holding on to today that's just good enough? Do you need to let go so that you can be ready for the best your life has to offer? You can do it. You are worth it. You have a fabulous life to find. I'm so glad you joined us. Make sure to subscribe so you can get all the episodes. And you can help support our podcast by clicking the support button in the show notes or going to our website essentiallybetterlife.com. Follow me on social at Essentially Better Life and check out my website for all kinds of information on business and personal coaching, my book, and even some great stuff on essential oils. Thanks for listening. Blessings and be well, my friends.